0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and we're coming to you tonight live after a rare Mets win, just the second time they've won after 10 games. So it should be a real upbeat and positive show tonight. I'm joined tonight uh, by uh, David Jordan, uh, author of uh, Fastball, John. And uh, David, uh, welcome back to the show.
0: Ah, Brian, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to hang out and uh, talk Mets.
1: All right, well, let's get right into it. Uh, Like I said earlier, the Mets won tonight. Uh, In tonight's game, they had uh, Wilmer Flores play in third base and uh, didn't really hurt him, but he made two throws that uh, bounced and other fielders bailed him out of an error. In my opinion, Flores cannot play third base defensively, yet the Mets continue to try to play him there. Can you see this ending any way but badly? Well, well.
0: First of all, you, you got to love how he's handling right-handed pitching this season. He's batting .275 versus right-handers, close to twenty points higher than his career averages, and his on-base percentage uh, is also finally, finally above .300. It's still not great, but but it's a start. You know, and right now uh, he, he's hitting .273 this year at home. Uh, his career mark is it's like .244. He's always been a great hitter on the road, but you know, think about this for a moment. He's still only 25 years old. It feels like he's been with us forever, you know.
1: Indeed, and the Mets signed him when he was uh, had just turned 16, and and it was a, a big signing at the time. Got a whole bunch of money, and uh, he's been on our our radar for close to a decade now. Uh, and while I acknowledge the fact that he's young, that still doesn't that um, still doesn't excuse his defensive plays. And the Mets keep trying to fit the square peg in the round <laughs> hole by force feeding him to play third base, and and I just don't understand it. And, and it's not like the, the brass doesn't watch the game and doesn't see these horrible throws night after night after night. And I'm I I don't understand why they they keep trying that. Uh, he, he, if nothing else, move him to second base. The throw is shorter.
0: Yeah, uh, that 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 makes sense to some degree. He does. He does give a real uh, DH uh, feel to you, doesn't he? He's, um, you know, it, it, there's been a, quite a bit of chatter in the last 36 hours revolving around David Wright's minor league uh, rehab appearance at St. Lucie. You know, if the plan is to see if Wright can contribute at all in 2018, I think Flores is probably your backstop. I, I, I think he deserves, at the very least, you know, 550 plate appearances to see if he can can contribute. And and second base right now is still, you know, a heck of a question mark, especially since they got rid of uh, Walker. You know, but this year, this year's numbers tell you he, he's, you know, he's no longer just a specialist in southpaw starters. I, I think that they're going to have to find a spot for him. And, you know, maybe you send him down to the instructional league this year and just hit him ground balls like Roger Dorn in Major League, right, and, and just see if, <laughs> if you can make a third baseman
1: out of him. All right. Now another thing from tonight's game: Juan Lagares. He he made a, a nice play in in center field. He came in on wow. a ball, and I don't know. I'm I'm going to guesstimate that he was about 20 feet behind the infield, and he threw out a runner at the at the plate who had tagged up and and really had no business trying to to score on the play. And <laughs> and and Gary Cohen, who absolutely loves Lagares defensively, called his defense peerless. And I'm sitting there watching, and I'm thinking it was a nice play. It deserves praise. I'd expect over half the center le- center fielders in the league to make that play. Uh, and what I want to know is, do you have any any recollection, any knowledge of any other player in Mets history who is praised so often and so heavily, no matter what he does, like Lagarus is by Gary Cohen?
0: Well, you know, you think about – one player that comes to mind for me is John Olerud. He had those two incredible seasons as a Met. He batted three fifty four, had a four forty seven on on-base percentage. Even Hernandez never had a season like that in, in 99. And I never heard a bad word from any of our announcers at the time uh, regarding Olerud. And, um, and it was so, I'm so sorry to, that, that he left. And I've always felt in my heart that had he stayed and, you know, not to you know, Discredit Todd Zeal, but if Oliver was on the Mets, they they would have made a, a stronger push in that in that World Series against the Yankees. But um, you know, getting back to to Ligaris, you know, there's this cool stat I learned from uh, the Sports Illustrated baseball writer Jay Jaffe. It's called runs from fielding. It's the number of runs better or worse than a, than average the player was for all fielding, and you know, it includes do- double plays, you know, outfield arms and whatnot. Now. A guy like Carlos Beltran, who was playing every day, 600, 700 plate appearances a season, 140, 145 games, he had a score of 33 up to the age of 28. Ligaris is at 78. Now, granted, 58 of those points came in his first two seasons, but I believe in my heart that when the Mets come out, uh, when the Mets starters go out on that mound, they are very reassured that Ligaris, when Ligaris is out there, and... Um, and I believe that the rising of this Mets rotation has really come in conjunction with having as sure-handed a player as Lagarus out there. And I think his defense is at its best, as valuable as an average hitter, um, or an, an above-average hitter who only plays average to uh, less than average defense in center. So I'm so happy that he's out there, and I feel very
1: confident for the
0: team when he's out there.
1: Certainly we saw Lagares put up uh, nice war totals his uh, first two years in the league. Uh, Of course, he's had trouble staying on the field defensively, and his his defense has fallen off from what it was those first two years when he was legitimate uh, Gold Glove Award winner. Uh, yeah. I think that uh, we've seen his WAR totals uh, fall off uh, uh, in conjunction with that. But but getting back to my question, I, I think that uh, the, your choice of, of Olerud is certainly a, an interesting one. I think that I would go back even further, and it's going to sound it's going to sound a little ridiculous when I first say it. But the first guy that jumps to my mind, who is praised to this degree, no matter what he does, was Richie Hebner. Just because huh. you know, Hebner didn't want to be on the Mets, the Mets tried no. to do everything in their power to try to make him feel wanted and loved, and, and I truly believe that there was a directive from management for them to, to praise him no matter what he did. And, and to me, I, I get that vibe, and it, it gives me cold shivers, I, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, I, obviously you know, they have Legara signed to that deal. And they're trying to make the most of that deal, and it's not—it's not big. It was five million or five years, twenty-five million or something like that. So they're trying to get their money's worth there. And um, yeah, Hebner—he—he you know, he, he didn't put up great numbers, but he, he put up—you know—slightly—you uh, know—Richie Hebner type numbers. You know, his, his he, career exactly. on base percentage. Exactly, he
1: put up Richie Hebner numbers. Yes,
0: <laughs> his, his yes. career on base percentage was three fifty two for the Mets, That sing, singular season was three fifty four. So he gave them what you know what they expected and uh, his his power numbers went down cuz he went to the cavern that was Shea Stadium. So his his average home runs are like, you know, 18
1: 19 he hit 10. All right, well let's let's uh let's get away from 1979 and uh get back <laughs> to the present. Uh the winning pitcher for the Mets tonight was Chris Flexen, uh, a guy that they called up from Double A, something that the the Mets generally have shied away from during Sandy mm-hmm. Alderson's regime. And actually, they haven't uh, called somebody up from Double A since Mike Pelfrey, so that gives you an idea of how long ago it was. So, right, so what are your thoughts on on the move to to reach down into Double A and then Flexen in, in particular?
0: I mean, it, it's it's so funny. I mean, the the, the starting rotation is a mass unit right now. It's a disaster. So you know, but what's interesting is I actually watched Bull Durham last night of all movies, and and I can't help but think of. The final pep talk uh, Crash Davis gives to Tim Robbins' nuclear loose character about going to the majors and getting lit up. Um, you know, for, for a player, the Mets drafted Flexin in the 14th round. I mean, this is not a, um, a prospect or, or somebody that they had these high expectations or, of course, the, the high uh, slot money that, that was given to them. Um, you know, it's like they, they, they need starting pitching at the major league level. And, and I think on some level, and you see how he's doing, it's worth a shot. He was enjoying a very nice season for Binghamton, striking out over a batter in an inning, I get a whip in the .70 range, which is you know otherworldly. You know, look, the team wasn't going to get a starter at the trade deadline. They, they were not in, in, in the playoff mix. Their best pitcher in AAA right now is Tyler Pill, a non-prospect who, as you know, was tagged pretty badly in his starts for the Mets. You know, it's a good dice roll. And, um, and at the very least, you give this kid some experience, and, and maybe he shows something in the spring if there's another issue. Because now, now the Mets just have to begin to assume that there's going to be some problems with, with, the, with some of these starters. I mean, Mats gets hurt every season. And when he's on, he's so wonderful. But he's not on all the time. So um, I, I think this is a good gamble.
1: Yeah, the thing that that was so encouraging to me was that it was so out of character for Sandy Alderson, and mm-hmm. I think that if you look back to you know the moves that he made last year, calling up and giving the opportunities to Gaselman and Lugo, which worked out so well, and mm-hmm, yeah. it, it's just nice to see you know uh, especially a guy as as old as Alderson. I don't know if he's seventy; he's at least pushing seventy. If he's not seventy, but somebody yep. you know a, a leopard willing to to change its spots, and and I was very encouraged by that.
0: Yeah, He has, in many cases, shown a real open-mindedness to, to rolling the dice on, on situations. So you, you like to still see that, even even a, a season as uh, discomforting as this one's been.
1: Now, UNA Cespedes got uh, tonight off, and Brandon Nimmo was uh, in the starting lineup, and he was leading off and did exactly what you wanted a lead-off guy to do. He got on base, he started the game off with a double, and then followed up with three more walks. Uh, so, uh, is is he potentially a, a starting outfielder in the majors, or do you think he's nothing more than a fourth outfielder, reserve guy?
0: Well, you know, he he has shown decent uh, on, on on base for uh, the, the couple of years he's been here. I mean, one year I think it was like 352. This year before the game it was like 364, something like that. He's 24 now, though. And he and he hasn't hit awful for the Mets, but he was lights out at in, in, in Las Vegas last year. He had 352, and again, you know, you go back to to his ability to get on base. He was at a, a 423 OBP clip for what that's worth in Las Vegas, you know. But he, he was a little out of sorts this year, and and I think that has to do with with going on the um, on on the Vegas to uh, Flushing shuttle. You know, he had a 227 average in Las Vegas this year. Then that's really out of character for him. I mean. Do I think we're looking at Limazilli? I don't know. Um, are we looking at Del Anza to go back to the 70s or for the other old-timers? Is he Bruce Beausclair as a fourth outfielder? Maybe. I know as a number one pick, the Mets are going to do everything in their power to give him a chance, although I, I think I would much rather see Ligaris out there at this point, to be very honest with you.
1: Now, certainly no one questions Ligaris' defense uh but uh I like to to see a little more offense from from my starters and and I don't know if, if Nimo has that. You you mentioned his great on base percentage, but so much of that is from drawing walks and if you draw walks and, and hit for power, that's a beautiful combination. But uh, coming into tonight, he had a, an ISO less than 100, which is not uh, Major League uh, quality. I mean, that's something that you'd expect from your backup shortstop, not from a guy who's potentially a starter. The double tonight was uh, was definitely encouraging. But, you know, I, I want to see some, some, uh, some power from him because if pitchers don't fear you, they're not going to throw you balls. And if the walks dry up, then what happens to you?
0: Shades of Jason Tyner, right?
1: Oh dear God!
0: You know he, he lost <laughs> his claim to
1: fame because he actually did hit a homer in the majors, but I don't know how how many plate appearances it it did get up to. But it was years before he finally hit a home run in the majors. And and for what it's worth, another Mets first round pick. But we can't blame that one on Sandy Alderson. But uh, no, we speaking can't, of Alderson, we you know he's he's got he's got. Uh, he, he's, he's a lightning rod type of guy. There, there's people who love him, and there, there's people who can't stand him and, and wish that he was gone. And um, I'm not sure which camp you fall into, but I, I, I'm, I'm sure that there's a question you'd like to ask him. So if you could ask Sandy Alderson any question, what would it be?
0: Well, I mean, before that, I will tell you this. I mean, the Mets were in the World Series in 2015. And they got just about every single game. I mean, Sandy Alderson did his job in 2014, and and your job really is if you're not the home team in in the in the uh, the Fall Classic, your job is to get every single game you can at that stadium, and that's what he did. And and he, so he he did his job. And they had a rag tag ball club last season. They got to the wild card, um, but I mean he has made some errors here and there. Of course, my question is probably the same one yours would be, and I, and I really look forward to hearing yours. Um, but it's very easy for me. It's basically, were you told that you had to pick between Daniel Murphy and Cespedes after the 2015 season?
1: You know, I, I think there's probably 20 different questions that uh, that you could ask him that w- that would be that would be wonderful. Um, yeah, uh, I've been a a longtime backer of of Rafael Montero, and I've been frustrated for years about his unwillingness to pitch inside. Now, a young pitcher at this level doesn't call his pitches, so All I right. want to know: is who calls the pitches? Is it the catcher's responsibility? Is it the manager's responsibility? Is it the pitching coach? I mean, who is it? Because this is a guy who came up and he had the reputation as being a strike thrower, and yet they're asking him to hit paint low and away with nearly every single pitch for for three years. I mean, this need to pitch inside was was obvious three years ago. Why did we waste three years of Rafael Montero's career? Who's responsible for it? Great question. But we could probably really talk is. about Sand- we 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 could probably talk about Sandy Alderson and questions we'd like to ask him all night long, and we we just don't have that much time. So, mm-hmm. um, but um, I I love the question that that uh, that you threw out there. Um, yeah, I, I I don't blame the Mets or Alderson for how the Murphy situation went down. You know, they they had uh, a guy that they were very high on in Dilson Herrera in the minors who unfortunately got hurt, but they offered to bring Murphy back. They extended the qualifying offer, but he wanted the security of a multi-year deal. I don't blame Murphy for wanting the, the multi-year deal. I don't blame the Mets for not wanting to give it. So I think it's just one of those things that they 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 acted fine. It just didn't work out. I mean, not every move you make is going to work out, and I think you have to examine the thought processes behind the move. And and to me, it didn't work out, but it's not one that I want to crucify him for.
0: Yeah, I know that, but you, but you had to really look at w- the job that uh, that Kevin Long did. Yeah, you, you had to see how he was hitting, especially with with Cespedes in the lineup, and and just he was really emerging a, a, as as a, a hitter with with some increased pop, and uh, just for those those. Two months that he had, and they were really magical months, weren't they? You know, it was really fun to watch Mets baseball in in July and August and September of twenty fifteen. Even even with, after the postseason, which was incredible, and I love it when they beat the Dodgers. I don't know why I like that so much. I don't know. Does it, maybe it goes back goes back to uh, Socha and Gooden. Nineteen eighty
1: eight. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I remember after, after that series was over, I said, "I consider nineteen eighty eight now avenged." But uh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Now to me, yeah, now you were referencing this in, in terms of a question that you'd like to ask Alderson, and I guess what I would like to know in, in, in this thought process, did they loop Kevin Long into the conversation? Because certainly Murphy has credited Long for helping him to make the adjustments in his swing to look to pull the ball more than just being happy to flick it to the opposite field so i wonder if they asked long if if they thought that what he did was sustainable or not or if long isn't uh, involved in decision making at that level
0: that's a great question and then they they definitely sh- you know in management you always want to get if somebody has some kind of responsibility and pure objective credit on a success you want to always loop them in it's just you know egos generally outside besides Poor decision making are, are usually the, the cause of so many failures, and that's terrible. But yeah, if I was him, I definitely would have had long in that in that dialogue.
1: Well, uh, unfortunately, it, it's water under the bridge at this point. Yeah, but yeah. we've reached the point in in the uh, in the podcast where we make a crazy prediction. Uh, I'll give you mine, okay, and and then I'll ask you to comment on mine, and then I'm going to ask you for your crazy prediction. Are you ready? Go. All right, my crazy prediction this week is that Chris Flexen is in the opening day rotation for the Mets in 2018. How crazy is that?
0: It could be because, you know, you have these other established, although injured, starters who are expected to be fine in, or, or hopefully fine in March. Um, the Mets don't have the depth that, that they thought they did. I mean, everybody was saying, you know, the Mets have seven starters. What are they going to do with them? Turns out now they have two. So, um, that's definitely, if he, he's a healthy arm, and, and again, he's not an expensive arm even in, in terms of draft money. So it's, it's going to be, uh, can Matt Harvey make it back? Is Lugo going to make it back? What's going to happen with Matt? Or so are we going to wait until May to see Matts again? Um, I think that's a great, crazy prediction.
1: All right, well, you didn't give it the full uh, stamp of craziness, so perhaps you uh, you will make a prediction that I will stamp as crazy. What's your crazy prediction?
0: Jose Reyes will be a met next year.
1: You know, it's funny that you say that because I don't remember which show it was, but uh, six weeks or so ago I made that same crazy prediction myself. So
0: I think <laughs> it's crazy,
1: obviously, because I made it as a crazy uh, prediction, but – you can see how the planets would align that that would happen because he can't play every day anymore right. and if the mets if the Mets decide that uh you know they're gonna bring uh drubal Cabrera back, pick up his option and uh uh play Flores and spend their money elsewhere, you could see we're having Reyes with the ability to play shortstop and second baseman, and god I maybe on an emergency basis even play third. Where it would make sense to bring him back on, you know, something uh, uh, a million a year or or some such contract as that. So, oh, he's, I mean, he's got I, his I money, definitely... money
0: from the he's got his uh, Florida Marlins money. <laughs> he, he should be. Yeah. you would hope he's fine at this point, point. and I think he does enjoy being part of the team and one of the elder statesmen, so to speak. Um, I think that you know, for the psychological aspect of the clubhouse with Rosario coming up. Um, I, I think they want to do everything they can to make him comfortable, and uh, and it would probably behoove them to make sure that Reyes is there to kind of walk him through things um, for the most part and just get him acclimated to, to the major league mentality. So that, that would be my, my thought process.
1: Now, since we're talking about Reyes, let me ask you something, because this is something that one of the commenters over at the at the blog has brought up, and he considers... And I'm not passing judgment one way or the other. This is his argument, not mine. He considers Reyes a virus. And then he went and listed all of the things that have happened since 2006 cases where jose reyes has been on the team and of course we know the the mets collapses in 2007 and 2008 and then the the falling apart after that and then how the the marlins went from preseason favorites after they signed him to a really underachieving team and how the blue jays played worse after they acquired them and better after they traded them and how the rockies didn't do anything once they had them and laid out an extensive case so What's your thought about the the idea that uh, that Reyes does more to hurt a team than to push them forward?
0: Ray, Reyes is like the cousin Oliver of the major leagues. He's a jinx. huh? <laughs> um, let me think. It, 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 he makes good points. He makes good points. Um, I think if the Mets can contain the virus to make sure that he's he's just kind of. Not infecting Rosario, but but at the very least getting him acclimated to the major leagues, I think it's um, you know it, it, it's a move that they should probably make. Um, you know, but your guy does does he does really make some good points.
1: I think all of us who who followed the Mets for a while still have this this vision of Jose Reyes as the kid who came up you know, back in 2004 or whenever it was, when he was all smiles and, and all energy. And it, yeah. it's really hard for me personally to balance the memory of that with somebody being um, accused, if not convicted, of domestic violence. And, and you know, that, that still hangs over. And, and as far as I know, there's been no continuation of that and And hopefully that's something that we never ever hear of either with Reyes or anyone else associated with the with the Mets again. But you know we we can never know what these guys are like when we watch them from our living rooms and never get to interact with them on a on a on a daily basis. I mean, we have to depend upon the the announcers and and the broadcasters to to fill in the blanks because they're the ones who get to interact with them. So I, I don't feel comfortable calling anyone uh, a virus, or you know, it used to be they would call them a cancer. Uh, can, so I don't, I don't yeah. feel comfortable. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with those terms. But it it does at least make you take a second to step back and say, well, you know, mm-hmm. you know, on paper everything looks good, or from the TV set everything looks good, but how is it really in in person?
0: Well, you know, that that's one of the funny things with when I was working with John DiAcusto on fastball, John. There were so many instances where I would basically say, "Oh my God, he was like that. He did that." That that that. that. Or we we're talking about a particular player, and it would be like, "I can't believe he was that kind of guy." You know, I, I was shocked like three or four times when he would, we would, we'd be talking about some certain player, an all-star player, and, and it'd be like, "Oh wow!" And I never thought in my mind he'd be that kind of guy. So, you never really can tell.
1: Well, let's take a uh, brief detour here. Um, okay. And, and you, you, you co-wrote Fastball John with John Diacuisto, which is an absolutely fantastic book, 500-plus okay. pages that uh, I rifled through in less than two days. Absolutely loved it. Cannot recommend it highly enough. If you have not read this book, go out and purchase it. But one thing about this that, that you've had the opportunity and I want to ask you about is you went to Cooperstown and yeah. you discussed the book uh, at their author series, and and that must have been a tremendous honor for you.
0: That was absolutely. Uh, I, I I was I was I was in a daze, and it was it was thirty six hours of an absolute daze. You know, sitting down and 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 talking with, with fans, <laughs> people who had read the book and people who wanted to read the book, and and a couple of reporters who showed up. Um, you know, Jeff Katz, the mayor of Cooperstown, we he popped in. We we chatted with him at had a little bite to eat with him, and, and really, the town really uh, rolled out the red carpet for us and made us feel extremely special. And, and I, I can't say enough good things about both, uh, the, you know, whether it's Bruce Markinson or, or Bill Francis at the hall or, or of course, Mayor Katz. Um, it was such a magical, magical
1: time that we had up there. Fantastic. Uh, if you haven't read the book, go out and get it. Highly recommend it. All right. Let's switch this back uh, on. On talking about the Mets, and, and as we're all aware of, the Mets had uh, essentially a, a fire sale where they traded almost all of their in, impending free agents. And I want to know: the Mets are are thinking about contending again in 2018. They don't. They view this as a, a as a reload, not a rebuild. So, mm-hmm. given that, is is there any possibility that any of the guys that they traded end up back on the Mets?
0: Well, you have to think Jay Bruce put up walk-year-type numbers this year, right? I mean, he, he was really – he had a really nice season. Uh, he's hitting three hundred and forty over in Cleveland since the trade. Um, I, don't, I don't think he comes back. It, it would not shock me if he stayed in the American League, although his defense wasn't as, as bad as advertised uh, last year or this year for us.
1: Um,
0: I do think if, if no quality uh, second, base, second base options show up, You know, they they take a second look at Cabrera and bring him back. Neil Walker could come back. He seemed pretty comfortable here, if not always completely healthy. Um, Addison Reed seemed to really um, thrive uh, at City Field and and, and with with the Mets. He's not off to the greatest of starts up in Boston. It would be nice to see him come back. Who do I think comes back ultimately? I think if they can get a good deal with Addison Reed, they bring him back. Um, and if they can't figure out what they want to do, if they're not getting great reports on T.J. Rivera, I think there is a conversation or two with Neil Walker.
1: Yeah, I think that we would all welcome Madison Reed back with, with open arms, and I think most people would say the same thing about Jay Bruce right now, and I'd certainly be happy seeing either of those guys back on the team but I would also throw out as a possibility if he's willing to sign a one year deal that we wouldn't rule out Curtis Grandison coming back either. Is
0: there room for Grand, do you think, in, in that outfield?
1: You know, if, if you're not tied to the idea that Lagares has to start, there's no reason that some combination of Grandison and Conforto couldn't man center field.
0: Yeah, I, I just I just want to see that, that Conforto is 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 just not thinking not if he's not thinking about defense, but he's not thinking where am I playing tomorrow, and then he's just focused. I'm going to be in right field for 150 games, and and I'm and I'm going to put up solid numbers, you know. But um, you know Granderson, Granderson's is one of the classiest players in, in the game. He's going to if he's not on a bench, he's going to be in a broadcast booth next year. That that's my crazy prediction. Curtis Granderson is going to be. Um, on on the Fox uh, Saturday afternoon, late afternoon game.
1: Of course, we have to hope he doesn't turn around and, and win a World Series ring with the Dodgers and, and look to re-up with them. But we are all out of time. Uh, David, thanks for joining us tonight. The uh, the time flew by, and uh, I hope you'll uh, consider coming on again in the future.
0: Anytime, Brian. This is an absolute pleasure. Thanks, thanks so much for having me.
1: Please tune in again uh, next Wednesday at 11 o'clock p.m. when we'll have uh, Wall Street Journal and Yahoo Sports contributor Michael Salfino. Good night, everyone, and goodbye.